Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. President Biden's preparing to deliver his first address to a joint session of Congress. So how has he done in his first 100 days in office? I'll give you my scorecard. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. The Biden administration fully underway now, 100 days in. And what have we seen? Well, I think the top line, this, uh, top line on this would have to be that the Trojan horse presidency that many of us were warning the American people about, including myself, is here. This is a guy who ran with the idea that he would be a uniter, that he would be a moderate, that he would bring together the American people. We would see what reasonable, rational governance was, not like that terrible fascist Trump and all the other madness that they used to say, all the nonsense that they would spew, but they won the election. Put aside whatever you think about how that election was conducted, Joe Biden is the president of the United States right now, and so we have to deal with this reality. So far, according to the polling, you've got about 50% approving, 48% disapproving. That's in the most recent Rasmussen poll we could pull for you, which lines up, right? You've got a, basically uh, in, in that statistic, you've got everybody who voted for him doesn't like him. Those who voted for him do like him. And nobody on the left, none of the Democrats seem to really be too focused in on the bait and switch that occurred here. They don't care. They're guys in charge. So the Trojan horse maneuver worked. They don't even really pretend anymore that unity is important. In fact, they never pursued it in any meaningful sense. It was a slogan. It was a campaign promise that they reneged on the moment they could. Here's even White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki telling you that, I mean, they didn't mean actual action that was bipartisan. Hey, a question on unity. Um, you know, you talk about earlier, you said you wanted to bring, or the president wanted to bring the country back uh, together. So I guess the question is, uh, he has not met with House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, according to Kevin McCarthy. Uh, what does that say about unity? The president's view is that bringing the country together is bringing the American people together. So when I say he's, uh, he is focused on uh, re bringing, you know, bringing people together, bringing Democrats and Republicans together, he's not talking about solving bipartisanship in the, this zip code here. Mm. So the representatives of the tens of millions of people who voted for Trump, you know, I mean, you don't have to respect them or even try to work with them in any capacity at all. You just steamroll them and then assume that the rest of the country will say, oh, well, that's fine because you're not technically steamrolling me. You're just destroying any uh, hope we have for bipartisan legislation that would actually do things that would make the country a better place instead of a more socialist, left-wing, radical, climate change-worshipping, Stalinist dystopia. But, I mean, that's, I guess, what you get with the Biden administration. That's what we should have expected all along. Where is he failing 100 days in? Well, let's just see. 
Uh, the border is the worst it's ever been. As you know, I just came back from a trip to the U.S.-Mexico border to see for myself exactly what's going on there. And it is open. It is not hard for people at all to game our system or to just come into the country illegally, make a run for it, and stay here. We're looking at probably a million people crossing into the United States illegally this year. I mean, that's based on the numbers that we've seen in the first 100 days. We have the most open border we've ever had in living memory. We have overwhelmed facilities. And all of this because of decisions made by the Biden administration. They can pretend they inherited this from Trump, but anyone with even a passing familiarity with what was going on under the Trump administration at the border knows that that's just simply not true. So the border is a disaster. Long-term Democrats like it because they view all of this as helping their electoral prospects. They're just importing future Democrat voters. And once they get past the midterms and they think they can go for that Biden amnesty, in my opinion, probably before Biden says he's too old to run for a second term and then just abdicates, essentially, hands it over to Kamala Harris to let her then run as an incumbent, but we'll see if we get there, uh, then amnesty becomes the big push. So the border's a disaster. There's no question about that. Uh, how have we been doing on coming back, on reopening? Well, as we've just seen from the recent CDC announcement and from Biden's uh, press conference or his public statement on the issue, Democrats are still lockdowners. They still think that this should continue for months into the future. And there's a very real possibility, in my mind, a near certainty, that Biden and the rest of the Democrats are going to want to maintain this control and the ability to reinstitute lockdowns at will into 2022 and beyond. So if you thought that we would come back to normal and you'd have freedom, think again. Not under this Biden administration. What about on spending? Oh, they go with a completely Democrat-only one point, I'm sorry, uh, $2 trillion, roughly, $1.9 trillion spending bill to do COVID relief that, as we know, bailed out blue cities, just firing the money gun at any issue that Democrats think should get some extra cash. Nothing bipartisan about it. When Republicans had the majority, you'll remember, in 2020, they passed numerous bipartisan rescue bills. Democrats are in charge. The steamroller comes out. And then you have all the left-wing stuff. You have all the anti-cop rhetoric. You have the Department of Justice under Biden investigating police departments because the BLM movement demands it. You have the skyrocketing crime rate in city after city where Democrats are in control and where police forces are under siege because of the Democrat narrative that is strengthened by the Biden administration, either trying to placate it or actually magnifying it. Uh, the left knows that they have a willing and able puppet in Joe Biden. And here's AOC telling you, yeah, he's actually doing pretty much what she wants him to. One thing that I will say is that I do think that um, the Biden administration and President Biden has definitely exceeded expectations that progressives had. Uh, you know, I'll be frank, I think a lot of us expected a much more conservative administration. Yeah, well, uh, the rest of us knew that that was bullcrap, but I mean, there are people, I guess, that bought into it, unfortunately, uh, and this is what you're getting. This is the third term of the Obama administration, just with grinning Joe Biden walking around, trying to remember what time it is and where he is.
That's what this administration is. All right, we'll be back with more Hold the Line in a moment. Stay with us. Have you ever wanted to invest in real estate, but you didn't have the time to do it on your own? I felt exactly the same way as you until about a year ago. I've always loved the idea of real estate investments, but I didn't know how to invest in real estate while staying committed to my profession. I do five hours of original programming and content every day. How could I possibly take the time to invest in real estate on my own? Then I met my friends at Done For You Real Estate. They took all the guesswork out of it for me. They found me an awesome property. They rented it out for me right away. They managed the tenant for me, and now I get a check every month like clockwork. Don't wait another second to see if my buddies at Done For You Real Estate can do for you what they did for me. Visit doneforyoubuck.com to see how it works. They'll take you through every step of the process, picking the city that you want to start in, the house, getting you a broker, getting the loan set up, even getting a tenant in place. All you have to do right now to start that whole real estate investment journey is go to doneforyoubuck.com. Just go to that website, doneforyoubuck.com. DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas said there is no crisis at the border, but now the Biden administration is asking for help to deal with the surge. In an email obtained by Fox News, Secretary Mayorkas told DHS staff that he's activated the volunteer force to support Customs and Border Protection because overwhelming numbers of migrants are seeking access to the country along the southwest border. Overwhelming. This comes as new reports show that there are more than 3,200 unaccompanied migrant children now in custody, a number that has tripled in just the past couple of weeks. Of those children, more than 1,360 have been detained in jail-like facilities beyond the 72 hours permitted by law. Joining me now to discuss this and much more is the Republican Senator from Texas, Ted Cruz. Senator Cruz, good to see you, sir. Bob, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. First, the border seems to be in crisis by any reasonable definition. What do you see going on and what has caused this? Well, I got to say the facts you just reported on, they can't possibly be true because if you turn on the mainstream media, nobody's reporting on them. We, we, we spent four years of the Trump presidency with the media lighting their hair on fire, screaming about kids in cages. Well, as, as you and I both knew and pointed out at the time, those cages were built by Barack Obama. And, and right now, today, we're seeing an incredible surge of unaccompanied children coming off across the border. And there's a reason for it. There is a cause and effect, which is Barack Obama and now Joe Biden promise amnesty. They have told people, if you come here as kids, you get to stay. You know, during the Obama administration, they asked all the unaccompanied kids who were coming, why are you coming? And the answer that they told DHS is because we get a permiso. In other words, we get here and we're allowed to stay. And the problem is you've got little boys and little girls who are being handed over to human traffickers, to violent cartels. These little kids are being physically assaulted, sexually assaulted. It is grotesque, it is inhuman, and it is getting worse under Joe Biden because his policies serve as a magnet to putting those kids in the place of abuse. If you want to be humane, if you want to be compassionate, then you secure the borders and you prevent kids from ever being put in the custody of human traffickers. Do you think that this is leading toward a further Democrat push for actual amnesty? And, and is that something that could get through the Senate if perhaps they decide that they're finally, the Democrats are finally willing to eliminate the filibuster? 
VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Undoubtedly, that is where they're going. Joe Biden has already put forth an immigration plan that is the most radical immigration plan that has ever been put forth by an American president. Joe Biden has proposed American citizenship for everybody. Everyone here illegally, Ali Ali Oxen free, everyone becomes a citizen. The rule of law doesn't matter. Joe Biden has directed DHS to stop enforcing the border. They've returned to catch and release. So if you're caught, you just get released. That's why we're seeing this surge of illegal immigration because they know the Biden administration is not gonna enforce the law. And I'll tell you one of the more stunning things, you've got some video up there right now of of Biden signing executive orders. One of the more stunning orders he had is, is to say and to propose that anyone who was deported in the last four years should be able to come back. Now that includes murderers, that includes rapists, that includes child molesters, that includes drunk drivers who have killed people on American roads. They are so radical that even violent criminals, if they were deported by the Trump administration, apparently the Biden administration wants them back here. That doesn't make any sense. And and it's not consistent with what the vast majority of Americans believe. While the border crisis continues to unfold, Senator, we know that we have this $1.9 trillion spending bill, to call it a COVID relief bill, seems to give it more credit perhaps than it's due, or at least gives it the wrong focus. Here's what Jen Psaki said about some of the intent of the bill. The president is taking nothing for granted. Uh, I will note that um, the plan uh, that the Senate uh, passed this weekend puts us one huge step closer to passing one of the most consequential and most progressive pieces of legislation in American history. Most progressive pieces of legislation in history. That doesn't sound like the moderate centrist, you could trust good old blue collar Joe that we were promised, Senator. No, that th- there's a reason Bernie Sanders and AOC are, are celebrating and, and Jen Psaki there a- actually appears to have accidentally spoken the truth. Um, you know, if you look at this bill, there, there are a couple of things to say about it. Number one, it would have been very simple for the Biden administration to pass bipartisan legislation focused on COVID relief. Last year, Congress came together and passed bipartisan legislation on COVID relief five times. Five times you saw Republicans and Democrats work together. Republicans were more than ready to roll up our sleeves and say, let's focus on vaccines, on distributing the vaccines, on supporting health care, on getting kids back to school, on providing relief for families that are hurting or helping small businesses open their doors. All of those could have passed with massive bipartisan majorities. The Biden administration decided it didn't want to do any of that. Instead, it handed the pen over, it handed the agenda over to the radical left, to the Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and AOC. And as Jen Psaki said, this is the most pr- uh, progressive bill by which she means left-wing socialist knuckle-headed bill that has, that has passed in, in decades. And, you, you know, I, I do a podcast every week called Verdict with Ted Cruz. And the last podcast, what I talked about is if you wanted to sum up the Biden administration, the first six weeks of the Biden administration in three words, the three words would be boring but radical. And, and by that, I mean, I think Joe Biden has made a political decision to be incredibly boring, that after four years of Donald Trump dominating the headlines, every tweet dominating the headlines, I think the Biden administration decided 
people were tired of that and so let's just have good old uncle joe be boring and not make news and he's managed to do that uh, you know you think about there are not many days in, in the last six weeks where you've woken up and said what did joe biden say today because most days he doesn't answer questions from reporters he doesn't say much of anything but that boring is a mask it's a facade for an incredibly radical agenda and and buck i'll tell you three amendments that we voted on uh in the in the all-night voting session we had number one an amendment that, that I co-sponsored that said these these $1,400 stimulus checks shouldn't go to prisoners, shouldn't go to violent criminals, murderers and rapists and child molesters currently in prison. Every single Democrat voted no. So this money is going to murderers currently in prison. Secondly, an amendment I introduced that said we shouldn't be sending these $1,400 taxpayer checks to illegal aliens, the 12 million illegal aliens in the United States, again, every single democrat voted no and a third amendment that i introduced pro provided that we need to open the schools and it said the money that's being sent the billions of dollars that are being sent to schools the schools don't get the new money unless they actually open up and teach our kids and if they don't open up the parents and kids get scholarships up to ten thousand dollars a student so that kids who haven't been being educated for a year can actually be educated every single democrat voted no this is a radical partisan agenda and, and we're going to see a lot more of it from the biden administration speaking of radical partisan agenda senator before we let you go kristen clark is a nominee to be associate attorney general for civil rights in this department of justice and you've been trying to get the word out about some of her troubling past positions and for one thing she was a big believer in jussie smollett's hoax and thought that that was a a major issue that we should all be paying big attention to. But you tweeted out, the Democratic Party is so radicalized that Joe Biden has nominated Kristen Clark to be Assistant Attorney General in the Civil Rights Division. Not only did she celebrate a convicted cop killer, she has troubling ties to the anti-Semitic nation of Islam. Story that's not getting enough attention yet, Senator. I want to try to change that. And you can help us by telling us what do we need to know about this nominee to a very important role in the DOJ under this Biden administration. Well, you look at her record and, and, and it is a radical record. And by the way, there's a pattern, uh, uh, not only this nominee, but Vanita Gupta, who used to be the head of civil rights under the Obama administration and was just nominated for the number three position at the Department of Justice, just had her confirmation hearing today. In both instances, these individuals have had long careers, not as mainstream lawyers, not as demonstrating fidelity to law, but, it, but as radical left-wing activists. With respect to Ms. Clark, uh, she has vigorously defended a, a convicted and an admitted cop killer who murdered a police officer. Not only that, she organized a rally in support of the cop killer where she invited as a speaker a, a, a noted anti-Semite from the nation of Islam to speak in support of the cop killer. And this is who Joe Biden says should lead the civil rights division of the U.S. Department of Justice, someone who sides with cop killers over police officers, someone who is willing to celebrate and promote anti-Semitic hateful, hateful attacks. I, I, I think that is a very poor decision for a Department of Justice that's supposed to be fair and impartial and committed to the rule of law. Senator, you're going to have your hands full opposing the radical agenda. We appreciate you holding the line, though, sir. Thanks for joining us. I've warned you about home title theft. That's where cyber thieves remove you from your home's title and become the owner. I said, you better get home title lock because it's coming. Well, if you're on Facebook, the big breach is already here. Facebook had 500 million accounts exposed to cyber thieves 
And according to a retired FBI cybercrime expert, everything thieves need to take over as the new owner of your home was leaked. Name, address, personal information, it's out. The thief forges your signature on a quitclaim deed stating you sold your home to him. He'll leave you in debt or even have you evicted from your home. Look, do what I did. Protect your home's title with Home Title Lock. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim. Then sign up for 30 free days of protection during this high-risk breach. Again, go to HomeTitleLock.com and use promo code RADIO. That's HomeTitleLock.com, promo code RADIO for 30 free days of protection. Take action to protect your home today. While the country is still battling the coronavirus pandemic, there's a different kind of virus that is spreading all over the place, too. The wokeness cult in elite education is slowly poisoning our society, rotting not only our institutions, but the young, impressionable brains of the people that attend them. Barry Weiss, in a recent piece, The Miseducation of America's Elites, shines a terrifying light on this. She was formerly of the New York Times. She left because of wokeness. And in this piece, she gets into the wokeness culture that has run amok at elite schools, pointing out the sad reality that as a society, we're no longer close to the beginnings of a counter-movement. Joining me now to discuss the director of the Discovery Institute Center on Wealth and Poverty. He does a lot of anti-wokeness work of his own. Chris Rufo. Chris, good to see you. It's great to be with you. There was a quote that I think really summed up a lot of this article, which is for everybody watching. It's a Barry Weiss piece in City Journal where she goes into some of the most elite private schools in New York City and Los Angeles and how not just the kids, the parents are now increasingly terrified at the level of brainwashing that's going on. There was a quote in this piece that to speak against this is to put all of your moral capital at risk. Feels like that kind of summarizes where we are in society against wokeness these days. Yeah, I mean, I think that's how people conceive of it. But I think there's also a, an error there because it's not moral capital. I think you can stand on moral grounds against this ideology uh, very solidly. It's really your social capital and your status that is at risk. Because it, within these elite institutions, if you question this ideology, uh, you're immediately dismissed with all sorts of epithets, of racist, a white supremacist, upholding the patriarchy, whatever it might be. Uh, and that's what terrifies elite Americans more than anything, is the loss of status. It seems amazing as well, and this is part of the article, I know you, you've covered this too in your work and research. We're talking about, in some cases here, 40, 50, even $60,000 a year private high school institutions who are having their, their, their students constantly go around uh, lecturing others now on privilege and the need to show contrition for white supremacy culture, a, a whole range of left-wing ideas. How, why, why are these institutions of privilege posing as social justice warriors against privilege? Well, I mean, the hypocrisy is clear, right? You have some of the most privileged people on the, on earth denouncing others for their privilege. Um, but I, I think what's happening is that this is the elite ideology. So it's not a surprise that it's being perpetuated in, in elite uh, primary and secondary school education systems. Uh, the question that I think conservatives need to wrestle with is uh, how do you push back against this within those elite institutions? Because whether we like it or not, uh, these are the high school kids that in 20 years are going to be running uh, companies and institutions and, and universities, uh, it's time to really tackle this problem now uh, and not just dismiss it as an elite fad. Well, it feels like we do need something of, of a counter-wokeness revolution, right? Or a counter-revolution against wokeness. 
the, the far left in this country, far left ideology has seized the commanding heights of some of the most powerful, influential, and wealthy institutions in the United States. Basically, all of Hollywood, all of elite academia, all of social media. I mean, you go down the list now, and it's, it's stunning what they've done. And it feels like on the right, or even, even actual centrists in this country, uh, aren't able to, or aren't willing to, or why is it, you know, why isn't there one elite high school, for example, that says, we believe in traditional values? I mean, can we start there? Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that question. There might be. There's a lot of uh, high schools in the country, but I, I think that the right has really ceded cultural territory. They basically said, we're going to focus on economics, we're going to focus on trade, we're going to focus on national security. Uh, and they made the decision a generation or two ago to abandon the cultural sphere. Uh, I, I think that already is changing, though. I, I'm actually very optimistic. I think that if you look at social media, if you look at comedy, if you look at other bright spots within the culture, uh, people are starting to realize that this ideology is not only morally and politically wrong, but actually it's not fun, it's not forgiving, uh, it's not it's not enjoyable to be a part of that culture. So uh, I'm optimistic, and I know that people who are in the kind of Gen Z category, it's now become cool and popular and rebellious to fight against wokeness. Uh, so there's a lot of bright spots from where I'm sitting. Yeah, politically cor- political correctness, wokeness, this these different. Uh, ways of describing this kind of leftism is clearly a a vicious and really self-consuming ideology. One thing that we see are people who think that they're safe from it or think that they're on the right side of it very quickly get fed into the machinery the same way as other people because that's just the way it goes. Kind of reminds me a little bit of what happened in the Soviet Union in the earlier days. Uh, but I also wanted to ask you about how how far this can really go on campuses before people say this has just gotten completely crazy. There's a University of Dayton professor who says, uh, who, who's been very you know, public and vocal about how 90% of the country's schools have excessive whiteness, and he shared this out, that the University of Georgia, Sanford University, Mercer, Pepperdine, Southern Methodist, that these are the whitest law schools in the country. And then the professor recommends how to reduce excessive whiteness. I mean, just the notion that there's a term that's being used in academia openly of excess whiteness, uh, like, like it's excess weight, something that must be shed. This is concerning. Yeah, it's concerning, but not surprising. I think that if you look at this language, to eliminate excess whiteness applied to any other group uh, would be immediately denounced by everybody. But this is just another blip in the culture war, in our culture, in our kind of time and place. Uh, but I think this is kind of, it's 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 termed in excessive terms, but this is really the ideology. This, this law school professor of this story said uh, that we should be eliminating standardized testing, eliminating competitive grading, eliminating eliminating any objective measurement of student achievement and simply a portion of positions in law schools and other institutions on the basis of race. Um, it's been going this way for a long time. And uh, this law school professor uh, just didn't have the tact uh, to not just say it, uh, the quiet part out loud. Yeah, and it seems increasingly like the woke left, Chris, is just making an argument rooted in, in power and not actually in ethics or, or morality, certainly not one in equal protection under the law. Like there's, there's now just essentially a treatment of everything in society as though it's a spoil system and should be doled out to people based upon identity category, whatever that may be. 
That's right. And I think that the real problem, though, is that that way of thinking, this idea that there's a static amount of resources and power and privilege that should be apportioned to different racial groups and some kind of formula, uh, ignores the idea of where does wealth come from? How is productivity generated? How are benefits and privileges and technology uh, created? And ultimately, they're going to kill the golden goose uh, because you can only redistribute and take and seize and and, uh, and push for so long before people uh, start to realize that we're actually doing damage to our economy, damage to our, our system of laws. Um, and unfortunately, that seems to be the direction we're heading. I know in some of the work you've done, you've shown the public the kind of wokeness training that's going on for employees of the government, municipal employees specifically. Uh, are you seeing a rise in that under the Biden administration? Essentially, is it now, you know, just open season, they, they want to get as much wokeness training out there in the federal government, state and local government as they possibly can, or is it staying pretty constant, pretty steady? Yeah, I mean, I've got sources in dozens of federal agencies, and the common theme that I'm hearing is that uh, diversity training and cult critical race theory training is back with a vengeance. Uh, they're doubling down on it. They're trying to make it part of all of their programs and decision making. So. I think under the Biden administration, it's safe to say that even at this early time, uh, critical race theory has jumped out of the HR department uh, and is now in the boardroom. Uh, actually, the cabinet and subcabinet level officials are being asked uh, to, to make these decisions, make political decisions, make administrative decisions according to the dictates of this new ideology. Chris, appreciate your work. Thanks for joining us. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. If Donald Trump were the 2024 nominee, would you support him? I would not. Okay, Liz Cheney. Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney adding more fuel to the fire as tensions between Republican House leaders are escalating. In an interview with Politico, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy said, quote, when leaders don't work as a team, it creates difficulties. Hmm, you don't say. We got J.D. Vance with us now. He is the author of the mega bestseller, Hillbilly Elegy. He's joining me on talking about the future, uh, current and future state of the GOP and perhaps some of his own political aspirations. J.D., great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Buck. Good to see you. What do you make of the back and forth right now, it seems, between what I think we could loosely term, and all these descriptions are imprecise and people could quibble over them, but the more establishment wing of the GOP, which clearly seems to be trying to reassert itself at some level, and the, the remnants of, I suppose, the MAGA movement. Well, I think in a lot of ways we all knew this would happen. I mean, you know, folks on our side of this debate have been talking about this for a few years, that there would be this moment, whether it happened in 2000 or 2024, where the Republican Party deba debated, what is it in the wake of the Trump presidency? Is it a Trumpist or populist or what have you party, or does it go back to the old ways of doing things that were so unsuccessful in 2000, 2004 and beyond? And, you know, 
the the unfortunate thing for the folks in the establishment wing of the party is I just don't think the voters are actually with them that much. If you look at the big questions confronting the country today, the big tech issue, the trade and jobs issue, the rise of China, on all of those questions, the voters really do recognize that the old ways of doing things don't make any sense anymore. And so they're looking for a new direction. Uh, they're looking for us to sort of continue the pathway that's been set over the last four years. And so as much as there's a civil war at the elite level, I really don't think there's much of a civil war among the actual voters. I think also there's a note of caution that we all keep in mind here because you've got the New York Times Magazine, for example, running this piece, Liz Cheney versus MAGA. We all know divide and conquer, one of the oldest strategies in the book. And there's certainly a lot to be gained by Democrats by focusing and trying to fan the flames of, of this. Uh, but, but what do you think the GOP messaging right now at this stage, we're basically at the 100 days of, of Biden, Mark, and people have started to see, at least I certainly think they're seeing, that this is a leftist, climate-worshipping, Stalinist, authoritarian, nutso party in a lot of ways. But there's not a lot of effective counter-messaging from the Republican side. I'm not saying legislation. I know they don't have the votes. But J.D., you understand where the heart and soul of the party is these days, especially in, in the middle of the country. So what should the message be? Yeah, it's a good point. And I think we, we have to just have a positive vision of what we want the country to actually look like. And you know, my, my basic answer to this question is, look, we want people to be able to live their lives, go eat at a restaurant if they want to, send their kids to school. We want them to be, to be able to speak without censorship, whether that's censorship on social media, or censorship from their employers. A lot of people are worried about losing their jobs if they just speak basic conservative views that they hold. And we want them to be able to have a good middle-class job, a good middle-class wage if they work hard and are willing to play by the rules. And you know, in, in each of those spheres, I think unfortunately the Democratic Party is pushing in the other direction, especially on the censorship question. I, I think we're living in this weird moment where uttering basic common sense conservative views, even if you disagree with them, they were at least acceptable and polite discourse even five, six, seven years ago. Now we're reaching a point where the Democratic Party, the presidential administration, the Biden administration, in cahoots with big tech is making it hard for people just to say what they think about things. And I, I happen to think that the most important part of being an American citizen is participating in the public debate about our democracy. If you're worried that you're going to be censored, you're worried you're going to be fired from your job for saying something you believe in, you really don't have that most important American liberty. And I think Republicans have to stand up for that, if nothing else. Do you think that there's some lessons learned being applied or, or could be applied, perhaps a better way to put it, about the, the lack of, an, of, of some white working class voters participation in the last election in, in key states? Uh, Michigan, obviously, I know you're in Ohio and Ohio went for Trump, but there were a number of places, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, were a pretty small difference in, well, the vote in general, but specifically in the white working class vote. People who had even voted for Obama in a previous election either switched over to uh, voting for Biden or just decided not to show up, which I think is probably the bigger problem. How can the GOP reach out to those folks? Or is the Democrat Party essentially doing the work for them by pushing more radical agenda items? I think it's a little bit of both. I think we can always do more to reach out to those voters, and you're exactly right. If you look at you know, just critical counties from 2060 to 2020, one of the things we could definitely improve on is igniting that same 2016 passion that existed among the white working class voters. Uh, but you're also seeing some evidence that whether it's the white or black or brown working class, 
the radicalism, especially on social and cultural issues, is pushing those folks to the Republican Party. Uh, these are not voters who hate their country. These are not voters who don't think there's a difference between men and women. These are not voters who think that we need to deconstruct children's gender when they're six years old. And so the, the, the craziness of the left may do a lot of the work for us, but I always think we should take the initiative and do as much as we can ourselves. How would you assess, we're at this week now where we've got the uh, Biden address to a joint session of Congress. I mean, not a State of the Union, but basically State of the Union. They just, you know, for tradition and historical purposes, they don't call it that. We're gonna be hearing a lot of stuff from Biden tomorrow, just today. He came out with a mask on outside to tell everybody you don't need a mask up outside if you're vaccinated. How do you assess what we've seen uh, in the first hundred days from this administration? And, and where do you think the primary weaknesses are for Republicans to step in and say, this is where they're leading you astray? Yeah, well, you know, I don't know really who's driving the wheel of the Biden administration. It seems like he's got a lot of powerful staff members and, of course, the vice president who seem to be driving a lot of the agenda. I think the agenda itself is quite radical. If you look at the substance of what they're trying to do, you know, it's not just they're spending a lot of money, but they're spending it on Democratic Party cultural priorities. You know, a, a bugaboo of mine is that they seem obsessed with the two income family model that's prevalent among the professional class. They wanna send every kid into daycare instead of making it easier for parents to care for their own children. But that's just one issue. There are a lot of issues where they're pushing their own cultural values uh, onto the rest of the country. The other thing that they're doing is they're pretty radical about their quest and their willingness to take additional power for themselves. You know, the DC statehood issue, the packing of the Supreme Court issue, the elimination of the filibuster issue, all of these effectively mean consolidation of democratic rule, making it harder for Republicans to win and then exercise political power. But I think the structural willingness to alter American democracy has been something I've probably been most terrified of. But I, I think that the way in which they've most opened themselves up to criticism, give Republicans an opportunity, is ju they're just so crazy on the cultural issues. I think we saw this a few weeks ago where the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, one of our most important diplomats, got up there and basically accused America of being a systemically racist country to its very core, that it was founded on white supremacy instead of liberty, justice for all. You know, the, the idea that the country is just a bad place with bad people who live in it is something that not even most Democratic voters agree with. And I think people want improvements in the country. They want their lives a little bit easier. They want it a little bit, uh, you know, they, they want some possibility of, of gaining a middle class job for themselves. They want their government to make it easier, not harder to do that. But they don't want to tear down their own country and their, their own society in the process. And I think, unfortunately, Democrats have lost that focus on making people's lives better and instead have emphasized the cultural anti-American radicalism. And I think that gives Republicans a lot of opportunities. J.D., before we let you go, speculation out there that you might be throwing your hat in the ring for a Senate contest in the great state of Ohio. What can you tell us? Well, I'll give you the, the, the politician's answer that I'm thinking about it very seriously, but not yet ready to make an announcement or, or make a decision. But uh, we'll let you know when I do. We'll keep following it. Thanks so much, J.D. Good to see you. We're living in very uncertain times and being prepared for the unknown is more important than ever. I'm sure you've noticed the world we live in is anything but predictable. The government's passing massive spending bills, the Federal Reserve is printing trillions of dollars in fiat currency, and many experts are predicting inflation could run rampant in the coming months. That could spell disaster for the dollars in your bank account. We can all benefit from something a little more reliable right about now. 
Well, what could be more reliable than real gold and silver? I'm talking about real gold and silver you can actually hold right in your hands. Call the Oxford Gold Group right now and learn how easy it is to get real gold and silver sent securely directly to your home or how you can have real gold and silver placed in your IRA or 401k. Just call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and ask for your free guide on owning gold and silver. Again, call the Oxford Gold Group right now at 833-600-GOLD. The Oxford Gold Group is the only gold company I trust. Give them a call, 833-600-GOLD, 833-600-G-O-L-D. A new poll tells us what we already knew about liberals and a sheriff in Florida states the obvious, but not everyone's saying it, about riots. We've got those stories right now in Quick Hits, and we have for you, starting with this poll, New York Times poll shows liberals are miserable and conservatives are happy. Political junkies might be interested to learn that conservative women are particularly blissful. 40% say they're happy. That makes them slightly happier than conservative men and significantly happier than liberal women. The unhappiest of all are liberal men. Only about a fifth consider themselves to be very happy. Uh, yeah, being a liberal man, being, you know, signing on for this kind of beta male mentality all the time. Not, not a good move, not, not something, not a recipe for feeling good about yourself, about your masculinity, about your role in the world, anything else. But a lot of libs running around, they think that this is better for them. I, we, hey, the water is warm over, on conserv over in conservatism. We welcome you. Come, come over to our side, please. Love to have you. And you'll be happier. Yeah, that's the part of this. That really, at the end of the day, it's not about who gets the most retweets on Twitter and who gets the most uh, you know, TV viewers or anything else. How do you feel at the end of the day? I'll tell you one thing. Great part of being a conservative in the media with all the, all the suppression of our ideas and all the uphill bullcrap we deal with from the corporate media being completely dominated by leftists and everything else, we sleep well at night. We feel good about what we do. I feel great about what I do every day. Tell people the truth. Spread, it, spread information and knowledge that they find useful and helpful. Sleep like a baby. Don't go to bed every night. Why do I not have purpose? Oh, I need to be on MSNBC more. Maybe if I get if I get a better column at the New York Times. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But that's just in the media perspective. I, I think you extrapolate this all throughout society. You get similar dynamics between conservatives and liberals. We go to bed at night knowing who we are and feeling good about what we do. There's that. And I don't mean just professionally. I mean in general. CNN senior legal analyst, <laughs> speaking of somebody in the media is probably really unhappy. Uh, defense begins the closing by defining reasonable doubt, not with Derek Chauvin is innocent. Think about that, legal analyst. Um, yes, that's a, a, a bedrock legal principle for a criminal trial. And there are a lot of areas of conflicting testimony from experts on both sides. And so when there's conflicting testimony, guess what that creates? reasonable doubt. And what is the obligation of a jury in a situation where they cannot, beyond a reasonable doubt, know that this was, uh, that there was a, a defendant here who is in fact guilty of the crimes alleged? A not guilty verdict. But in a country where we're all expecting effectively uh, there to be mass riots all over the place, if the left doesn't get their way, well, then it's a little bit trickier, isn't it? We're, we're having a trial with essentially the threat of hostage taking going on around it, but the left has no problem with this because they don't care about the system, they don't care about the principles, they care about power and getting 
their way. Uh, the good news is there are some people who are already speaking out about, uh, against the notion that riots are just going to, riots don't just have to happen. Human beings can all make the decision. We're not going to riot. They want to peacefully protest? Great. Get together, hold your placards, make your voices heard, go on TV, put it on social media. Great. First Amendment. We love it. Right? I don't agree with what they're saying necessarily, but I agree with the right to say it. Riots or something else. Here's a sheriff from Polk County, Florida, who's saying, look, you're coming down to Florida. That's great. We love people coming down to Florida. Obey the laws. No riots. Peaceful protest. We encourage. And more riot. We can tell the difference. And I'll guarantee you that you'll be able to tell the difference if you come here and riot. If you come here and protest peacefully, we encourage that. Seen it time and time again, law enforcement all across the country when people are, are peacefully protesting, law enforcement actually uh, protects them, keeps them from being in you know, traffic accidents and incidents, make sure that there's some basic crowd control so people feel free to, to say what they want to say and, and they don't have to fear anyone you know, assaulting them or doing anything to, to harm them while they're exercising their First Amendment rights. That's what happens during peaceful protests. We've all seen it. I've seen it hundreds of times across the country now. Or you can burn down buildings, attack cops, break storefronts, steal things. That's rioting. People who do that should be punished. Let's be very clear on that right now, because the Democrats certainly aren't. All right, that's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is next. Shields high.